Welcome to Musonomics. I'm Larry Miller from the Music Business Program at NYU Steinhardt. Video games have become a significant revenue stream for music artists over the years. Esports games, rhythm games, and games like Grand Theft Auto and now Fortnite, Minecraft, and Roblox have changed the context for how music interacts with video games and brought creative new possibilities as the gaming industry continues to boom and interactivity gets more sophisticated. During the pandemic, many artists are reaching their fans in a gaming environment. These are teens, right? So not having music as a key part of their lexicon and environment is not right. So we want to have them connected to all different kinds of music and friends and because that's where they develop their fandom. And, and I think the artists are starting to realize that, you know, the 150 million kids on the platform would love to be entertained and would love to hang out. That was John Vlasopoulos, the global head of music at gaming platform Roblox. Roblox just raised $520 million in a funding round that valued the gaming platform at $29.5 billion. Pretty good for a company valued at $4 billion less than a year ago. But before we get into that, there's decades worth of history to consider as video game developers' sound and music have worked increasingly together. The history of music and video games hinges greatly on the evolution of technology. So let's go all the way back to the beginning of the gaming medium in the early 1970s. This is where some iconic game compositions, simple to modern ears but a leap forward in the past, created an undeniable cultural impact. Pong, which was released in 1972, was the first arcade game to use sound effects. At the time, computers produced the sound by using a semiconductor chip to transform the electrical impulses from code into analog sound waves. A few years later, history was made again when 1978 Space Invaders became the first game to feature continuous music. Music and sound effects were overlapped during gameplay so that music would no longer be restricted to only the intro and game over screens. An ominous four-note melody accompanied players' actions as they attempted to shoot down aliens closing in from the top of the screen. And the music sped up as the creatures drew closer. It sounded something like this. Maybe the most iconic video game music of all time came in 1985 and needs no introduction. Yes, that's Koji Kondo's Super Mario Bros. theme, and it's a hallmark of the era of 8-bit games. 8-bit referring to the console's processor size. Kanto also composed the score for the first Legend of Zelda game, which was released just a year after Super Mario Bros. He was not the only composer who found fame through scoring video games in the 8-bit era. There's also Hirokazu, better known as Hip Tanaka, who created the soundtrack for Metroid, also in 1986, and Nobu Umatsu, who scored Final Fantasy in 1987. Their contributions to the history of video game music and the culture as a whole are so great that these games have spawned decades-spanning series, and Umatsu's music has been performed by live orchestras to sold-out audiences. As home gaming consoles like the PlayStation surged in popularity throughout the 90s and processor sizes increased from 8-bit to 16 to 32, these technological advances opened the door for more sophisticated video game sounds. 
Before, game soundtracks mostly consisted of MIDI files, which depended on the computer's hardware. But as computer memory and processors became cheaper and faster, it became possible to use digital audio files. This meant that complex soundtracks could now be crafted with previously recorded, studio-produced music. One of the biggest game series to take advantage of this groundbreaking shift was EA Sports' FIFA series. Beginning in 1993 and with yearly releases ever since, the game's soundtracks are carefully curated to include some of the most popular and upcoming artists of the time. In the early 2000s, before audiences had access to the tools that make sharing and discovering music so easy nowadays, and before Spotify, YouTube, and even iTunes, FIFA helped gamers find new music and boosted the careers of the featured artists. The games started with rock-heavy soundtracks to reflect then-current tastes, but have diversified in genre over the years, helping varied artists expand their fan bases and gain exposure. Tony Hawk's Pro Skater series is also famous for its unforgettable rock, ska, and punk music soundtracks, which have been a defining factor of the game since the first one was released in 1999. Esports games continue to be a significant source of income and promotion for artists who choose to license their music to the medium. Travis Scott even curated the soundtrack for NBA 2K19 and lent his image to a special edition cover of the game, but we'll get back to Mr. Scott in a minute. It's impossible not to mention the remarkable fad and video game music that happened in the mid-2000s in contrast to the stable growth of esports games, Guitar Hero, and Rock Band. Players used instrument-shaped controllers and sang karaoke to ultra-famous tracks from Queen to Black Sabbath, The Clash to Nirvana, Aerosmith, and The Beatles. As you can imagine, these games spun entirely on the axis of licensing pre-existing tracks from huge artists. Guitar Hero and Rock Band were a short-lived sensation as revenue from both games surpassed actual digital download revenues in the music industry in 2007, although the games also helped digital download sales increase between 15 and 843% for all licensed music in both games. That's a pretty major impact. Despite that success, sales dropped off quickly because of oversaturation on the market. Gamers felt it wasn't worth buying new equipment for a new game every year that really offered the same old gameplay as before, and sales plunged from $1.5 billion in 2008 to $700 million in 2009. Activision had acquired the maker of Guitar Hero for $100 million and had $2 billion in sales by 2011 before the bottom fell out of the market. Rock band maker Harmonix was acquired by Viacom subsidiary MTV Games, which was shut down soon after. Dance games, however, have endured for much longer. New editions of Dance Dance Revolution and Just Dance are still being released. What rhythm games offered was true social and physical interactivity. Where else could you challenge your sibling to a dance-off? These games filled a void in the market, even if that void narrowed with time. At the same time that esports games became steadily lucrative and novel rhythm games had their rise and fall, there was one series that achieved high critical acclaim and staggering financial success above all, Grand Theft Auto. It's fair to say that Grand Theft Auto has been one of the ruling game franchises for over two decades now since the third entry of the series, GTA 3, catapulted it to fame and generated serious sales upon its release in 2001. 
The series is known for its graphic adult content and also for its open-world format, so players don't have to stick to the linear plot of the game. They can explore the entire digital city instead if they wish, and one of the unique gameplay features is having full control over the car radio stations as the playable characters drive around. The most recent game in the series, GTA V, features 18 different music genre stations, including real DJs with unique personalities for each station and over 240 licensed tracks. It's remarkable that Take-Two Interactive allocated that much attention and budget to what some players may consider to be just background music. Along with giving the artists both a source of revenue and significant exposure, this aspect of the gameplay delivers a one-two punch in terms of gamer experience. A very broad range of genres to suit every player's tastes and a level of interactivity that replicates real-life channel changing. Even though video game licensing has provided artists with a relatively new, fast-growing revenue stream, artists have had to get creative about how to make money in the time of COVID. Some have turned to Twitch, where they can use the online platform to livestream their performances and interact with their fans in the chat feature, and fans can tip them and subscribe to their content. The most revolutionary way artists are taking advantage of a socially distanced world, though, is through virtual in-game concerts. Which brings us back to Travis Scott. His April 2020 virtual concert in the online game Fortnite, titled Astronomical and developed in partnership with Epic Games, was attended by an astonishing 27.7 million unique players. It launched his single, The Scots, to the number one spot on the Billboard Hot 100 that same week, and his social media channel followers increased by 1.4 million the week after. To drive the point home, all this from one 10-minute virtual performance. Pretty incredible, right? Astronomical was not the first virtual concert Fortnite hosted. In February 2019, Marshmallow's online event held the previous viewership record of 10.7 million, and other gaming platforms are following their lead in a bid to get in on this novel way of reaching audiences during a pandemic. After South by Southwest 2020 was cancelled, Minecraft produced the cleverly titled Block by Block West online festival, where nearly 30 bands performed across three virtual stages, with 5,000 players virtually stage diving and moshing and 134,000 more viewers streaming from Twitch and YouTube. In November, Lil Nas X performed a virtual concert in Roblox, which drew 33 million views, by far its most successful online event yet. Prior to that in September, Roblox held a virtual launch party for Ava Max's newest album, Heaven and Hell. We spoke with John Vlasopoulos, Roblox's global head of music, about the event and his plans for the future. If someone were landing on the planet Earth for the very first time from a galaxy far, far away, or if perhaps they don't have a child younger than, say, 14, what would you tell them about Roblox? So if you think of the, the metaphor of, of maybe YouTube in the UGC space, so as, as YouTube is to video, uh, Roblox is to gaming. So we, we have millions and millions of kids, and we'll get into the definition of kids, but and they're creating games for other, other kids to play. 
So underneath all of that, there is a virtual economy called Robux, which again, any any parent with children under, in, you know, in the age bracket knows my daughter just lost her tooth, for example, and uh, she got paid with the tooth fairy in fiat, real money, and then immediately wanted to cash it in for Robux. So it's almost like currency for the kids. Yes, um, but important to and- point out that the virtual currency does cost real money, right? It does. So yeah. um, so, so parents are buying in, but for the kids, they you give them a dollar and they, they want Robux in exchange. So I, I think as a as an evolution, YouTube was a more visual platform where you needed to look good and perform and have technical skills to upload. So now our creators on the platform are actually creating games, but the definition of games is very light. So they're really interactive experiences currently manifesting as quote unquote games. And uh, it's really very social. So it's hyper social. Uh, we, we talk about co-experience in the metaverse. So they're going there after school to hang out with their friends. 90 some percent go with another friend, if not two, three or four or five. So un- unlike traditional social media, it's usually you and the platform. This is a very hyper social experience. And again, the games could be delivering pizza, escaping from jail. So they're, they're very on, on the scale of games from like Red Dead and Call of Duty, which are very engaged play to win. We're much more Candy Crush or even like beyond Candy Crush, where the kids are kind of loosely gaming, but really just hanging out and playing together and chatting. How would you describe the role of music on the platform then? What's it been and how's it changing? Yeah, so I think historically for this demo and, and demo-wise, again, as we define kids, the platform's been around for 14 years. So a lot of kids have grown up kind of getting into the platform at you know, seven, eight, nine. And so a lot of those kids who started 14 years ago are in their, in their 20s and out of college. So the evolution is usually from player to builder and then in some cases to kind of pro studio or professional developer. So I think in terms of the experience on the platform now, the kids are spending a good amount of their currency equipping their avatars with different uh, metaverse items that they're using to define themselves. Historically, that hasn't had any branding to it. So over the years, they've been buying fun hats and hairstyles and and backpacks and things for their pets and houses, but all non-branded. So there has been some music. We we historically had some production music in there where they could add some background and, and color to their games with, with some music, but not, again, maybe more recognizable music. So now, as we're getting into 2020 and, and moving into 2021, the ambitions of music on the platform are to, to really enhance everything that you would imagine in the real world, where you have a touch point with music and then bring that experience the metaverse uh, and the virtual world and hopefully even enhance things you can do in the real world. So for example, now on the simple one, the music that we're adding in is professional music from licensed catalogs. We started with Monster Cat and more coming in in 2021. So the kids as they're building can kind of program richer music into the game that, that add more personality to the game in the same way anyone would add music to a movie or a film or package good video game. So that's that's going to, I think, enhance the experience for the players. And then as you experience music uh, in the real world, a lot of people talk of our generation about their first concert, right? So I think this generation is going to be experiencing their first concert, probably not physically, but virtually. So we, we hosted the Together at Home Lady Gaga event earlier this year, which was super fun, which brought the kids together around music and their favorite stars. And so it's that co-experience with their friends hanging out. And again, the connection to their stars and that they, they love and their talent. And then recently Warner leveraged a launch party product. We had to do a, a little launch party on the platform around Ava's new record. And that's, you know, an experience that they can't get 
get now physically. So they're all coming together around music with their friends. Uh, they can get merchandise. And then we'll be extending that to kind of full virtual events where in the real world, you would have real world artists, real world stage, real world audience. So we would have virtual artists, virtual stage, virtual audience. So that would be the one-to-one. -one, but the stretch goal is to bring where you and I over the years, I'm sure, have had backstage experiences and meet and greet and fun VIP touch points with our favorite artists. The 99.9% .9 of kids haven't. Mm -hmm. So if we can virtually allow them to dance on stage with their favorite artists virtually, do a virtual meet and greet, take a picture with their favorite artist. And th these could be things that you're talking about, that amazing show that you and Ted Cohen hit in 1993 with Van Halen or whatever it is and, and <laughs> tell every time. So, that, so that, that, that I'm sure there are many, Larry. But the, that, that might have happened. <laughs> yeah. But the kids can have their little tentpole moments where they're going, oh my God, I was on like, doing a virtual backstage hang with fill in whichever favorite artist it is. And they they, they feel proud and, and more connected to their artists. And then we want to build artist worlds, right? Which is, we were all pitching websites for artists in the 90s. And then there was sort of mobile experiences. And uh, and now I think connecting with your artists on the metaverse, however the artists want to express themselves and going into that sort of walkabout fandom experience somewhere between like walking around the music videos. So there's new things coming in that area. And then merchandise nice that the music industry has been having kind of a, a mono revenue stream for a number of years around streaming. So we think there's a great opportunity in the metaverse to really start diversifying revenue streams and bring back what we experienced earlier on in the mobile era with uh, ringtones and wallpapers. So what are the metaverse versions of those? So hopefully we can introduce some new revenue streams for artists and labels and publishers, etc. So a whole, whole bunch of things. Let's talk about that Ava Max event that you just did. How did it come together? And for the uninitiated, what was a young fan or user able to do? Our ambition on the platform is to make um, kind of demystify Roblox or for, for our partners in the same way, again, 18, 19 years ago, I was doing that at AT&T, what is mobile? And people were doing their first app and short codes and messaging. And so I think we need to, it was a little easier back then because the notion was media was going to go on this funny thing we were holding in our pockets that couldn't do much then. But the notion was, I presume it will be on this device and there will be lovely things like iPhone 12s eventually, right, in 20 years that can, can sing and dance. So we, we need to present to the partners what the metaverse is and how a, an Ava Max or an artist, whoever would do their thing in the metaverse. So as opposed to it seeing very complicated and everything taking six months or nine months or whatever, a long period of time, we want to have quick hit experiences where the artists can go and the labels who are very creative can go, okay, we're going to do this on Roblox and this is what it's going to look like. So we were coming out, we used some open source code that we leveraged for the One World event and we wanted to offer that up to all our partners. Warner was sort of a proactive uh, partner we were talking to and uh, there happened to be a new release for one of their top artists in the near term and uh, the thing was, oh, well, you guys could leverage this code base, which kind of gets them 90% of the way there of building this interactive listening party experience. And uh, they connected with one of the top devs in our, in our community to help kind of customize it and make it feel like heaven and hell, which was the name of her record. Music was added to the venue. She recorded some kind of exclusive video for the space where she was talking directly to the fans. So she got behind it, management got behind it. And then there was merchandise made that the kids could purchase in the venue. So basically they arrived, there was a pre-venue experience where the kids could jump around and play games, do quests, buy merch. And then Ava appears with, what's up, Roblox? It's me, Ava Max, which is pretty cool, right? That your artist is talking directly to you in this virtual space. And they hung out with their mates. She did a couple of original songs and kind of gave her inspiration for the record. And then she's inspiring a lot of young female fans that we have on the platform. So that's great. And that was it. It was meant, it's not meant to be a long drawn out thing. It's kind of, I equate it to, if you remember back in the day, we'd hit Joe's pub for like a showcase, right? It, it's meant to be that vibe where you feel 
feel special. You're with the artist in some sort of intimate experience and uh, you want to tell all your friends about it, but it doesn't go on forever. So it happened on a Friday afternoon. I think just just over a million people, I think 1.2 million joined. And it was great. I think it was it was a good, by no, and I think perfect is, is non-definable. It was a great first step. And I think it was lots of learnings and we want to keep iterating and rely on the creativity of all of our partners in the industry to keep keep trying new things and see what the kids are, are into and what they like. But the most important thing for us, I think, is these are teens, right? So not having music as a key part of their lexicon and environment is not right. So we want to have them connected to all different kinds of music and friends and because that's where they develop their fandom. And, and I think the artists are starting to realize that, you know, the 150 million kids on the platform would love to be entertained and would love to hang out. So, so yeah, we're looking forward to more uh, kind of creative experiences coming to life in 2021. Well, that's a lot of kid users on this platform. Did you learn anything in doing this event and similar events that you've done recently this year about your audience that surprised you? 2019, there were the first kind of dipping the toe in the water with brand partners. Uh, so we did some work with a lot of the Warner Brothers franchise movies that came out, uh, Aquaman and, excuse me, Ready Player One, and uh, did some work with Nike and the NFL. So the, the thesis was, we want to work, you know, we are a top brand. We take our brand very, very seriously. So why don't we expose the community to other top brands that we think they'll like? So I, I think a lot of it has been proving, and, and they did, right? So, so a lot of it is kind of proving out uh, the, the theory that if, we, if you introduce brands that they're already very familiar with, and engaging with off-platform that they presumably will, will also want to engage on platform. So I think the the learning was we were right. And I think getting a million people aggregated on a Friday afternoon is, is kind of fun. So it was encouraging. I think we haven't done a lot of premium experiences, right, where the merch would be paid. A lot of the merch around the event has been free. So I think we're excited in 2021 to offer more premium items for the for the kids to to connect with and, and represent their fandom on the community. I think they, they were vocal. They, they enjoyed it. And and it was like, well, when's the next one coming? Yeah. They're, they're now, they got their appetite wet. Since there are a number of uh, brands and platforms and content owners who you may want to engage with, I wonder how you're doing this in a way that scales. Is your organization scaling in a way where you can do many more of these in the near future? Yeah, so I think we, we love systems and anything we can systematize at, at Roblox because again, with the, the YouTube example, you know, we're a UGC platform. So we're we're meant to be providing fire starters, right? So the whole notion, if Ava Max does something, we want to we think Fridays are synonymous with music, as we know in the industry, but kids don't understand that Fridays are important for the music industry and it drives charts and charts drive, you know, Grammys and touring and the general success or failure of a of an artist. So for example, our role would be trying to drive attention around music and Friday. Fridays. And then if if we're starting to work with the community going, hey, Ava Max did one, you should do one. And every release we would love that there would be a little launch party on Fridays when music comes out. And then mm -hmm. the kids can kind of party hop and you, you're discovering across genre, across region, you know, language. So I think again, like in the mobile era, we're looking to enable middlemen, right? So as opposed to me talking to you and your listeners hearing, if there are companies, which we think there will be, who are the metaverse kind of agency or, or middleman where they are doing deals with a bunch of artists or labels and bringing us it's like here's your here's your lineup for q1 and q2 i have these 10 artists or these 20 artists and then it goes from artists and they start dealing with brands and movie studios and kind of become those new kind of creative agencies and they work out licensing businesses where there's a back end and so we're, we're trying in 2021 to create the beginnings of that economy where there are uh, middlemen players some people will go directly we, you know there's a great startup on the platform i mean many great startups but in the music space the splash guys um you know, the splash game pop gun uh, which is a studio out of 
of uh, Australia have a, have a great game. So we want to encourage more metaverse music startups in the future to come on. So we're, we're really trying to create examples of what can be done. And then kind of depending on the creativity of the industry to, to do more of that. And from a licensing perspective, we've again got the Monster Cat framework in place. So we want to have the, the notion there is not to flood the market with a million tracks because the kids won't know what to do with them. So we want to do these little bite-sized chunks a la Monster Cat where we can kind of introduce new music, introduce a new brand, and then kind of do that on a regular cadence for, for more music. And if we're going to introduce artist worlds, like next year, we want to do maybe two or three artist worlds to show how this could be done or with festivals or venues. And then from there, hopefully the industry kind of builds and people can do more without us and without handholding. How selective do you need to be about programming music-related events for such a young audience? So again, I think in terms of programming, we're not really programming, but we are certainly conscious of, of curating maybe of things that, that can't be on. So we take the security and, and safety and of the community very, very seriously. So anything that does go on and happen on the platform needs to adhere to our content standards and uh, in terms of use. And that's the same as has been happening since the beginning of the platform. So any game that comes on gets highly moderated. And so same thing if an artist wanted to come on and, and do a launch party, but the, they were using sexually explicit content and inappropriate references to drugs and alcohol. We, we couldn't, that, that just wouldn't get on. So yes, yeah, so I think we, we try to be clear about that, but I think a lot of the partners that we work with understand that they're working with an under 18s platform so that they're generally respectful of that in terms of the vetting. And, and I think our team is growing. So a lot of it, we have to just be selective based on hours in the day. So the more we can educate the partners when they're not coming in with someone who's a little off and they're sort of thinking about that ahead of the presentation, that always helps. You were talking a minute ago about uh, the kinds of virtual goods that have been associated with these, you know, mostly free events. And I wonder how big of a part paid virtual merch will be for the music-driven events of the, of the near future. What do you think about that? Yeah, look, I mean, again, I, I don't have a specific crystal ball, but I think there's some version of a crystal ball from the mobile era, you know, that we all saw happen. It's not exactly the same movie, but it, it's it's somewhat of the same movie where it's all about self-expression, right? So the kids before would love having their ringtone that would personalize their their phone. And when it was, it was ringing, they would feel that they were represented right amongst their friends. They would have a wallpaper when someone saw their phone ringing, it would, it would show and on their, on their screen. So all, all of the, the multi-billion dollar industry that, that was birthed in the kind of late nineties, early 2000s. It feels like there are similar signals now where it's very much about self-expression. So when the kids are going around on the platform, you know, my, my daughter obsesses about getting exactly the right pink ponytail and the exact right cow print trousers and this, that, and the other. So at the moment, they're dealing with it in non-branded ways. But, but as we know how people exist in the real world, the brands they associate with are key to representing who they are. So I think once we allow, again, the equivalent of the ACDC ringtone or, or um, you know, the Beyonce t-shirt or Taylor Swift t-shirt or headphones, my my sense is that it will it will be pretty good in terms of popularity with the kids. Fair enough. What have I not asked you in these few minutes that uh, that you would want to tell us? No, I, I just think it's it's getting over. I mean, great questions. I think it's it's getting over the notion for the um, for your audience that again, it's not a quote unquote kids platform. Right, kids often has that Nickelodeon, Disney. So the the average age of, of the kids on the platform, you know, is like, is like mid teens. We have half of under sixteens in the US and the UK. So it's it's a very commercial opportunity, if you like, for the music industry. So that's number one. I think number two is we're a very global platform. So um, Brazil is very large for us. Southeast Asia, Korea, Japan. 
Japan, Western Europe. So it, it's it's not a US thing or a North American thing. It's very global. And uh, and the fun thing from a, a music discovery, just I, I think to, to close is I think we have a huge responsibility where we're, we're kind of like programming a global radio station, right? So this is a massive global audience that is is on there every day for for long periods of time. They're not like social media where they're doing rubbernecking drive-by. They're, they're immersed for an hour plus, mm. you know, on a daily on a daily basis, three billion hours a month. So so yeah, I, I'm just very excited about engaging these kids with great music, some music that they know, and hopefully a lot of music that they can discover from the creators on the platform, from each other, where I feel from we, when we all started in digital music, I was much more connected to, to music. And I feel as technology over the years, as I've maybe got a little bit, maybe it's to do with age, Larry, as well, but I've got less connected. So our hope is we can really just re-immerse these kids in, in the amazing creativity and magic of, of music and artists and fandom and, and just sort of reignite the love of music for, for all these kids around the world on, on a daily basis. Well said, John Vlasopoulos. Thanks for joining us. My pleasure. Thanks, Larry. The Musonomics Podcast is produced by Musonomics LLC, Strategy Consulting, and Analytics for and about the music industry. With many thanks to John Vlasopoulos and Irina Efremova from Roblox. Editorial direction by Jory Roberts and technical direction this episode from Nakul Sharma with additional assistance from Clayton Durant, Ankit Shub, and Ryan Winsig from the NYU Steinhardt Music Business Graduate Program and Laurie Jacobson of Jaybird Communications. From the Music Business Program at NYU Steinhardt, I'm Larry Miller. Stay safe and be well. Music